Welcome to The Fruit of Passion. I'm your host Alejandro, also known as Hanoma, online. Today's guest is an online content creator. Though her talents extend way beyond the YouTube world, as an actress, published author, avid traveler, and an entrepreneur who runs her own movie production company. If there's ever a polymath of the right hemisphere of the brain, here's a good candidate. Let's hear then my conversation with Romina. I'm here with Romina. Romina, thanks for coming on the podcast. Sure thing. Romina, I wanted to start by, uh, so I will have introduced you before, but I think any introduction is probably too short or not enough. You have many talents. Uh, do you consider yourself primarily a YouTuber, um, filmmaker, film producer, entrepreneur? What's, what's your short description? creative entrepreneur. <laughs> uh, I guess I mainly call myself a filmmaker, but I mean, in that there's the creative side of it and then there's also the business side of it. And I am interested in business. So that's where the entrepreneurial part comes in. And I do think that if you are a YouTuber, part of you is a filmmaker as well. So I don't know, it all kind of, uh, comes together. <laughs> mm -hmm. do, do you think that the business part is something that many creative people are, are lacking? I guess it depends on what side you are on in the industry. I think that if you find yourself behind the camera, I don't think that you are lacking it. Um, but I, I do think that a lot of actors are also growing to be more knowledgeable about the business side of it. Uh, as, their, as their career advances, they obviously become more knowledgeable about that aspect. Uh, I don't really think that, I don't really think that a lot of creatives are lacking in, in the business side of it. I think it's more how long they've been doing it. Because of course, like when I started, I wasn't as in tune with the business side of it. Even when I was producing, So I think it's all, it all comes with experience. So how about this, um, this view that some people have that when they are doing something creative, let's say painting or, or making music and they're doing it for free and it's fine, but when they start making money, they are considered a, a sellout or something. Have you seen that attitude? I think that's all based on opinion. I've definitely seen that attitude, but I don't really care. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that's great. Uh, let's let's talk a little about um, some of your other talents. You speak five or six languages. I try to. You try to. <laughs> uh, I, I think you do it pretty well. So how 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 is that? Um, can you can you explain how you came to speak of so many languages? First of all, I do love languages. If I could speak every language in the world, that would be amazing. I. I guess when I was growing up, I just, I was learning three languages at once, just all simultaneously. And I think that kind of just planted a seed in me to learn about different languages and that there are different languages. And, and then I think 
because of loving the culture of other countries and wishing to communicate with those people, that also kind of fostered a, a love for, for learning those specific languages. Can you say which languages do you speak? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I speak uh, Spanish and French and English, obviously. Um, and I am learning Japanese. That's an on and off thing. I mean, you know, language learning is like something that never ends. Even even to this day, I'm, I feel like I'm still learning English and it's it's my native language, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Japanese and uh, I also speak some Italian as well. That's because I lived in Italy for a while and so I kind of had to learn Italian. But I don't really practice it very much because there's not a lot of people who speak Italian <laughs> outside of Italy. So uh, that one's that one's a little bit more difficult to, to keep up. But I do understand it really well just because of the other languages that I speak. I also started to learn Portuguese a few months ago. And I tried to learn Chinese as well a few months ago. <laughs> uh, so I just, I kind of... I just jump around from language to language and try to learn as much as I can. And I mean, I, I would rather get to a country and be able to speak, you know, a few words than not speak anything at all. So that's kind of my goal with that. In practical terms, after English, what do you think is the second most important for you, whether you speak it or not? Uh, would you say it's Spanish or, or Chinese or some other language? The second most important? In terms of how many people you can reach, I mean, uh, audience size or... Yeah, I definitely think Spanish is is up there. And then after that, I would probably say uh, Chinese or Japanese. Because uh, even though there aren't a lot of people who... Like it is, it's like Japanese, maybe there's not a lot of people who speak Japanese, but there's a lot of people who are interested in speaking Japanese mm-hmm. uh, just because of the culture. I mean, it's, I think it's just something that happens, but, um, but there are a lot of, you know, business people that do speak Japanese just because there's so much business that's good that goes on over there, especially in, in Hong Kong. So I think, I think probably in that order, it would probably just be English Spanish, Chinese. I mean, it would probably, I feel like those three are all kind of in the same, on the same level. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you have plans for doing business or have you done business with people from other countries and have you had to interact in other languages? Not necessarily. I've had employees in other countries. I do outsource contractors sometimes. But for the most part, they've wanted to speak in English. (laughs) So even if I can speak their language, they've wanted to speak in English. Mm -hmm. So I have to say, I know the feeling uh, because I my native language is Spanish, but I'm from Chile. And (laughs) you must know that Chilean Spanish is basically the worst <laughs> it's yeah. uh in chile we 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 do pronounce very very bad compared to other countries so it's uh for other native speakers it's hard to understand chile and spanish yeah i think i think that goes for cubans as well 
<laughs> I mean, Cubans don't even speak Spanish. I don't even know what. <laughs> We're just like a yeah, lot of. <laughs> it's kind of a mixture, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but for example, I had a Cuban colleague at work and, and I could understand him perfectly. But it's weird how I would have to change my way of pronouncing to make it easier for him <laughs> to understand me. So yeah. my, my Spanish would feel very formal compared to what I usually speak at home, for example. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Moving on to another topic. You say you are studying all of the time. You are a lifelong learner. I think <laughs> that's something we have in common. I, I really like studying, learning new stuff. Sometimes I will get this probably unhealthy obsession with a new topic and I have to go and study that topic for a while. Um, what things are in your backlog for learning? What things are you trying to learn or you want to learn that, that you don't know yet, but maybe they go in a radically different direction to what you do now? Um, learning. I'm always learning stuff. I feel like I don't know enough of anything. <laughs> And I mean, I, I'm enrolled in a lot of online courses. I'm very uh, interested in learning a lot of different things. Right now, I am taking a world history class with Khan Academy. It's a really great history class. It goes from the very, very beginning, you know, like 300,000 uh, years ago and, and is going all the way to present day. It's, uh, it's just fascinating to see the development of humankind and, and how we have progressed through the years. And I'm also taking cooking classes with Masterclass. So I'm taking a class with Wolfgang Puck right now. I'm also enrolled in a couple other cooking classes on Masterclass, but I haven't started those yet because I am trying to complete my class with Wolfgang Puck. And I'm also doing some filmmaking courses as well. I'm taking a class with Ron Howard for directing. I'm taking a class for screenwriting with Aaron Sorkin. And I do any kind of class that I find online that I think is interesting. I kind of jump into. Um, I'm enrolled in a marketing class right now. <laughs> so You seem to have more classes than a full-time student. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's available to us. And that's, I mean, that's just kind of how I feel. That's why when you asked me, like, about my <laughs> education, I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> everything is everything is an education for me. It's, it's, This um, is great. And I, I can relate. Can you, how is that Ron Howard class? You know, because of my YouTube history, I think that's the most repeated ad that I have on YouTube. It's the Ron Howard Masterclass. Oh, well, you know, it's amazing. It's actually a really great class. It's probably my favorite one on Masterclass. And I'm enrolled in a bunch of classes on Masterclass because I got their yearly pass. So mm -hmm. you can just enroll into however many classes you want to. And so, of course, every time a new class comes up, I just uh, I just enroll. <laughs> uh, but the uh, the Ron Howard class is really good. You can tell that he really prepared and actually wanted to come and teach people something. 
as opposed to just being contracted to just do like this online course thing, you know, like he didn't just like get paid to like be there. <laughs> it was, it's very, he comes, he has like a, a yellow notepad. And so he has like his notes and stuff and, and things that he's going to talk about. So it's just really cool to learn from someone who's so passionate about what he's teaching and that he's passionate to teach it. And I think that just gets me excited to to learn from him, especially someone like him who has gone from being a child actor to being on the other side of the camera and working with some of the most amazing actors of our generation. So I think there's a lot to learn whether you whether you like Ron Howard's work or not. I feel like there's so much to learn from someone like that, someone who has so much experience and and is just so well connected in the industry. He's just he's seen everything, you know? So you mentioned that he was a child actor and I think this is a perfect connection to your own experience. You have you're an actress as well. You have appeared in, in feature length, let's say mainstream films, but you also have your YouTube channel, right? So is is this a personal plan that you have to to move from one side of the camera to the other? I think it's not really a plan, it's just something that happens. <laughs> I I set out to be so I just I've always loved acting. I've always loved being in front of the camera and just playing whatever characters and it's just cool to be able to be any person that I can be. And originally that's how I first started my career was being an actor. And eventually I got opportunities to uh produce films and so I just kind of got thrown into that and started to do that. But around the same time that I started my acting career, I also signed up for YouTube <laughs> in 2006. So I've seen both I've seen both industries just change radically uh over the last, you know, over a decade now. And I think there's really no it's not really like It's not really a plan for me. I just have a goal to always be making money doing what I love to do. And I love to tell to tell stories that impact people and can influence the future. Mm -hmm. So for me it's not really like, you know, being behind the camera in front of the camera. It's just whatever fulfills those goals. Which in, in the case of YouTube is actually both, right? You are recording yourself most of the time so you are behind and in front of the camera yeah <laughs> so let's talk a little about uh, youtube when did you start your channel and and did you have any intention uh, i have to say you just before this recording you passed twenty thousand subscribers so congratulations on that thank you did you think that was going to happen that was part of your idea or it happened naturally organically when did you start your channel and How has the growth been so far? So I I I started on YouTube in 2006 and I've been through a lot of different channels. And this particular channel, I started with a strategy and I had a very something very specific in mind. 
And that was only a couple years ago. So I did expect it to grow to this point. But you know, with anything, it's like, you never know, right? It's, it's, you can do everything right and still not make it. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, uh, I mean, when I, when I got into it, it came, I did it with a strategy. So it wasn't, you know, I didn't leave it up to luck, really. It was only a very small, small percentage. <laughs> do you have previous channels that, that were, uh, that, that maybe fail in that sense that you were saying, or they never grew? No, I just didn't really focus on it because when I first started with YouTube and years after, YouTube still wasn't really a place to make content. Not really. I mean, some people were doing it, but it wasn't really a place where like you couldn't say, hey, I can I can make money off of this. And it was always just kind of I, I was never really super consistent. It wasn't something that I started off as like a business or a job. And so because of that, I mean, they weren't really failures, you know, I just didn't do much with them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I have a a question that goes in parallel. Let's do a parallel between film and YouTube. What are your favorite film types and what are your favorite YouTube channel types or what are your favorite kinds of YouTube videos? Oh, that is a good question. I've never had anybody ask me that before. (laughs) Um, Well, my favorite film types are, I love science fiction and I love comedy as well. Mm, Anything like that, I guess. Anything that falls into those genres. Mm, As for YouTube videos... I like to watch business. I like watching business ones, like informational YouTube videos that teach me stuff. Again, because I just love, I just love learning stuff. I just like, like knowing things. So I guess educational content. So let's say that instead of business. I like educational content and comedy. I think. I think those are maybe like the two types of YouTube videos that I watch. And then I'll also watch, you know, the videos that my friends make. So sometimes they'll just be, you know, like a daily vlog type video, like just journaling what they're doing in the day or something like that. Um, But I don't really watch a lot of those. It's just like if my friends made something. Yeah. It's only when my friends made something and if they're proud of it and show me their video, then I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, I wanted to ask, uh, for example, for the educational videos, you don't, I'm guessing you don't really mind how long they are, right? But maybe for other types of content like vlogs, uh, there's this implicit expectation that the videos should be short, especially for people who are publishing every day or a few times a week. Right. Do you do you have a, a preference for that? Uh, if a video is too long, you say maybe not now? Yeah, I definitely think that there's, it depends on what I'm doing. Like I can't just stop everything that I'm doing to watch a video if that's something that I'm not expecting to do. And I think the difference between, so 
you know, people use the example like, well, you watch like a 30 minute show or like you watch a, you know, one hour of Game of Thrones or whatever. And I think the difference is that that they don't just drop, you know, like an episode of Game of Thrones randomly. <laughs> That's like an hour. You know, you're not in the middle of your day and then suddenly there's an episode of Game of Thrones. It's it, like, you know, that when it's going to be there and you set a time to go watch it. So it's a little bit different. Like, I can't just stop what I'm doing to watch, you know, a 20 minute YouTube video when it just drops, you know? So I kind of save that to, for, for later when I know that I'm able to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's a lot easier. So the reason that it works when it's shorter is because if it's something that like, if someone makes, you know, a video and they bought their mom a car, then it's like, well, if it's like a five minute video, then maybe I could stop what I'm doing, take a break from my work and then watch that video. Whereas if it's like, you know, a 20 minute video where they're just chronicling their day, I just have too much going on in my day, you know? And if I'm going to set aside 20 minutes to watch something later on in the day, then I might as well make it something that's a little bit more valuable to me. Mm-hmm. So one interesting thing here is that many of us can take a five minute break for a five minute video, you know, dur- during our workday but not a 15 minute break let's say something like that so a 10 minute difference here is big but when you are let's say you are sitting on a sunday afternoon to watch a movie you don't really care if the movie is uh, an hour and 30 or two hours two hours and 30 right it's like an hour difference but maybe you don't really care so we um, i think our expectation for youtube videos is just different and somehow we we tend to prefer shorter content uh, online but not necessarily for films i don't know if you you agree with the, uh, this view yeah so like what i was saying with the game of thrones thing like it's just that they don't just drop it you know whereas youtube videos like if you're subscribed to 50 different channels they're just going to drop it randomly so like dropping a video that's like 30 minutes long you can't just stop what you're doing to go watch it they don't drop it but you you still have platforms like netflix or right. prime video where you, you have the movie available all the time so you don't have to wait until sunday at 7 p.m to to watch it right you can watch right. whenever you want but you yeah. still don't really care that that there's a one hour difference between uh, one movie and the next Right. Because you set aside the time to watch it. So for me, like, I don't mind watching a long YouTube video. It's just as long as I know that I'm going to get something entertaining out of it. But I wouldn't just drop what I'm doing to watch, you know, like a Shane Dawson documentary (laughs) for, you know, 30, 40 minutes. I can't just drop what I'm doing to watch it. So I have to reserve a separate time to be able to watch it, just like I would be watching a show or Mm -hmm. a movie. So I think that's kind of why people choose to have shorter videos because it's not because people don't watch longer form content. It's because of when those videos are released and how frequently they are released. So I think that when you have longer form content, it's not necessarily that people don't want to watch it. It's just that it just to to release it all of a sudden, like without, you know, having some kind of expectation or to be able to set aside that time to watch it, then 
it makes a video a little bit harder to uh, it makes a video harder to perform on the algorithm. So the reason that some people make shorter videos just when they're just dropping videos randomly is because uh, the algorithm will measure the first hour, the first couple hours that video is published. So again, like if people can't drop, you know, 20, 30 minutes to watch your video, then it's better to just uh, do a shorter video so that they can drop it. And then your video will perform better in the algorithm because of the fact that people will just drop what they're doing. Now, that's obviously, I mean, obviously there's people who can just drop, you know, 20 minute videos and they're totally fine. Um, but I think there is like, there's a level of expectation there of like what exactly they're going to be dropping. Because if it's, if it's valuable information, if it's something that's very, like if it's educational, then most people are going to stop what they're doing to be able to learn from this. If it's something that's like, Hey, top 10 ways that you can make money from home. Well, like a lot of people are going to click on that. They're going to want to see that even if it's, you know, a 15, 20 minute video. Whereas if someone just drops like, Hey, I just bought my mom a car and it's like a 15, 20 minute video, people are like, uh, like, why is it like 15, 20 minutes? Like, what am I going to get out of it? Is it really that entertaining? Like, I think you can just show you buying your mom a car in five minutes or less. Like it doesn't really have to take that long, Mm -hmm. but if they do make something that's a little bit more heartfelt, something that's a little bit more emotional, you know, they go through like the stages of showing why their mom needs a car. Then it's like, it's a short film, right? So it's a 15, 20 minute thing. And if they sell it that way, where it's, it's, it's going to be something that you can get emotionally invested in, then I feel like people would reserve that video and watch it on the weekend or in the evening when they're able to watch, you know, separate that time. So again, just like to reiterate, I don't think that there is really a difference. Like there isn't like an expectation of videos being shorter online, like the, you know, YouTube videos. I think it's the content that matters. I think it's the content that decides whether someone will will dedicate, you know, 20, 30 minutes to watch your YouTube video. Cause there's plenty of documentaries. Like why is it that Shane Dawson is able to drop a, you know, a one, a one hour episode for his docu-series and drop seven or eight of those episodes and get millions of views. So it's clear that people don't really care about the amount of time. It's more about the content and how emotionally invested or, uh, how much value they can get from that content. Well, speaking of content, what would you say is the main topic of your channel? It's me. <laughs> just you in general. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just me. <laughs> the, 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 the video, my, my channel, originally I started it off to be a very niche channel. It, it was supposed to be um, focused heavily on travel. And so if you look at my videos, you'll see that I do have a lot of travel videos and I'm, I've been changing my content a little bit for a number of reasons. Travel is just, uh, I, I just want people to be able to see that they can travel and be able to see that there's so much that the world has to offer. So there is, you know, that kind of educational aspect to it, but I'm also a very fun person and I don't want to come off as like, 
hey, I know everything <laughs> about travel. I don't expect myself to be like some kind of travel guru. And I certainly don't want to be considered like a travel vlogger because it just doesn't feel like me. So I also, I've been trying to show people more how I travel because at the end of the day, like my mission was to inspire people to travel. But if they're just watching me travel, then it doesn't really get the message across as much. And since there's so many aspects to who I am as a person and this channel is just, it's just me, you know, it's, it's not called like, Hey, let's travel the world. Like it's called Romina. It's me. And so I want to be able to put as much of myself into my channel as possible and show the different stuff that I'm doing. Like I'm trying to get through the entire Star Trek franchise. So that's something that I've like brought up a, a few times on my channel already. Uh, and I do want to talk more about filmmaking just because people are really interested in, in how I do what I do. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of business videos and how I make money. It's just, it comes naturally because people just are interested in knowing how I'm doing what I'm doing. And I do want to teach more people. I want to teach people to be more productive with their time. I, and I want to help people to always be willing to learn and educate themselves and that there's a lot of opportunities, especially if you have access to the internet. So I, I guess for the most part, I just inspire people. I inspire people to always make a living doing what they love to do. So one, one thing that I like about your channel is that you haven't fallen for this, I don't know, rabbit hole or something that I've seen some other channels fall for it, which is they do vlogs, they do travel, and eventually they do a gear review. They say, oh, uh, how to use the GoPro or this drone or this camera or what's in my backpack. And that video tends to have way more views than the rest of the, the, the travel vlogs. And mm. they start because they have more views with gear reviews. They start becoming a gear review channel. Um, yeah. What's what's the obsession with gear? I think there's probably too much of that on YouTube. Um, people doing reviews and tutorials, even when they they do have something to say and they they do have potentially better content. When I say better, it's just uh, for a wider audience. But they they end up doing a lot of gear because there's some some kind of obsession with gear to to have you seen this trend and are you doing something explicit to avoid it yourself well i'm not doing anything to avoid it i've done a couple videos where i've talked about gear and i've talked about my backpacks i've done backpack reviews and honestly what it all comes down to is the revenue there's just so much of a higher revenue to talk about equipment than there is for, you know, travel videos. And that's just the honest truth. Right. So, but given that that's the case, um, do you feel tempted, for example, to, to just um, switch to that topic entirely? Well, not really. I mean, like I said, I just, I, I want my, vi I want my channel to encompass who I am as a person. And that is part of who I am as a person. I do like gear. I like tech. And 
sometimes I will bring it up, but it's not something that like, I'm at the end of the day, I'm a person and I'm just as complex as the next person. So I don't, I don't want to just be like one thing, you know? Yeah. There's, there's more to you uh, than, than just gear, of course. Right. So let's, uh, let's talk now about uh, my, my main motivation for inviting you is this nine to five topic. Uh, I think you're uh, very passionate about this. Could you explain uh, in your words, what's, what's nine to five uh, for you? And what is this, this campaign that you have? So I started this movement, which is hashtag reject nine to five. And the reason that I started it is because I get a lot of people who are always telling me, I wish I could do what you do, or I'm so envious of the life that you live. And to me, uh, it just seems wrong. And the mission behind the reject nine to five movement isn't so much literally rejecting nine to five jobs inspiring people to change the way that society makes a living. So we have this idea that passion and making an income are two separate things. And I think that we should be encouraging not only ourselves, but our children to find what their passions are and figure out how to turn that into a living so that we are always loving the jobs and the work that we do. So even though I say reject nine to five, I work like 12, 14 hour days sometimes. <laughs> so there's definitely not like, I'm not like sitting under a palm tree. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, there's yeah. definitely, it's not, it's not as luxurious as some people might seem to think. And the only reason that it seems like luxurious or that it seems cool is because of the fact that I'm doing it and that they are not. And that's really the only separation there. Also your content, I mean, your YouTube content is curated, meaning you are showing the nicer part, but there's a lot of work behind the scenes that you are not showing. Right. And, and sometimes people just don't know that. Yeah. And well, and the thing is too, like, even if you do tell them, they still don't believe you <laughs> because I've talked about business before and I've talked about how I make, so it's not like, it's not like I'm sitting here and like, I'm not a trust fund baby. Like I, you know, I'm not some rich dad's daughter. <laughs> I, I wish, <laughs> but <laughs> There's a, I don't have like an unlimited funds account. Like I've talked about it before and I've told people like, this is how I make my money. Like, this is how I make my money. And this is how you can make your money too. Like I have a business, I run a business, I run a production company and you know, sometimes I work and then sometimes I don't, I'm also an actor. So like I worked on a movie, you know, six years ago and I'm still getting checks from that. It's not, you know, million dollar checks, but hey, like if you get like a $50 check in the mail from someone who rented your movie on Amazon, that's money <laughs> from work that you did, you know, six years ago. So 
it's not it's not that the work isn't there. It's just I, I think people have this idea that when people do their passion and turn that into an income, that it's kind of a miracle. And that it kind of just happened and they were lucky and that there is that there wasn't a strategy to it. Mm-hmm. And that couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> sure, there are some cases, you know, where someone was walking down the street and and you know, Steven Spielberg picked them out from the crowd and was like, "Hey, you're going to be the star of my next movie." But that is like 0.03% <laughs> of the people out there doing stuff. <laughs> like that is that is literally lightning inside of a bottle. That is, it's something that you can't expect it to happen to you, even when you put yourself out there. And I think people just can't accept that. People just can't accept that there isn't an easy way to do things. And there are some people who definitely don't uh, show the ugly side of it or show uh, the more businessy side of it and just kind of show, you know, uh, how many cars they have in their garage, <laughs> but there's, there's, there are plenty of people out there who are showing how to do these things, how to run your business, how to make money, how to be a filmmaker, how to be an actor, how to, you know, be a writer. And there's all these resources that are available and so many of them for free. But I think people just choose to see what they want to see and accept what they want to accept because they believe that there is an easier route. So it's easier to believe that it can just be a miracle, that it can just happen to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I have the feeling that even if you were um, a rich person or you were born with a lot of money, you might still be doing the same. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I um, I didn't come from a poor family, let's say. Uh, So I did have a very nice upbringing, but you know, life happens and I've had a lot of changes in my life. I am going to write a book about this, so I won't, (laughs) I won't put out all the details here. Uh, But I've, I've been on both sides of the spectrum. I've had a very nice house to having nothing. And I mean, literally nothing. So I still remain very stoic on the idea that making money doing something that you love is 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 the mission. That is the mission for me. That is a mission that I set for myself a few years ago. And that is the mission that I want to relate to people now. That is what I want other people to feel like they can also have this this life. Going back to the nine to five, I have to say I do have a nine to five or an office job, but I'm a software engineer in 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 some big tech company, and I will be the first to recognize that these big companies, let's say like Google or Facebook or or, or Apple, you know, they they have they are the outlier, they are the exception for office jobs. We have really good benefits, really good salaries. Uh, the office environment is great. You have these uh, rooms with with board games to take a break or or a ping pong table or something. Uh, We have free food and free snacks. So there's a lot of 
things that help you stay motivated and, and, and it's nice to go to the office. Um, but for most people, that's not the case. For most people with a with an office job, there's this feeling that it's a dead-end job, that they, they cannot really grow, um, that they get bored, that they are forced to work because of the money that they need to pay the bills. So is your message quit that job and, and, and start doing something better or you can keep that job, but you can still pursue your dreams on the side? I think it's the latter. I think it's, like I said before, I don't really, I, I'm not encouraging people to reject nine to five jobs. I know people who are perfectly, they just like, they love doing Uber. They love driving people around. And there's people who love working at Trader Joe's and taking people's money and, you know, putting it in the cash register. And they're just happy. They love, you know, helping people and they love helping people with their groceries. And that's, that's it. That is the embodiment of, you know, reject nine to five. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not necessary. It's like, you know, there's so many people who love being software engineers and who love going to work at eight o'clock in the morning and will spend all day there. Mm -hmm. And I think, but there is a, there is a culture of we need to just get a job to make money. And that is definitely the case because of the fact that, you know, money makes the world go round and we need money in order to survive in the society that we live in. And my hope with it is to eventually create a society in which people don't get a job just because they need to get a job, but they find out what their passion is first and then get a job doing that so that they can be more fulfilled making their money. When you say fulfilled, and you also mentioned Uber and Trader Joe's, I think one common factor in those jobs is that there's a lot of human interaction. Uh, I've had Uber yeah. drivers tell me, you know, I really love doing this because I get to know so many interesting people and, and talk about what they do and, and what the, the, their hobbies and where they're from. So there's maybe there's just a human factor missing in many of the regular office jobs. That could be, I mean, there's so many variables, you know, it's impossible to kind of just pinpoint it without, you know, doing some kind of, some kind of survey. But from an outsider's perspective, I do feel like some, some kind of human interaction probably has something to do with it. But at the same time, I know, you know, app developers who don't leave their house <laughs> and they are so happy because they're doing something that they love to do. And it isn't even about like the money that they're making because sometimes they make apps that are completely for free. Like they're just doing it because it's something that they thought was an interesting idea and they just make it. So I think there's I think there's two sides to every story. So I definitely I can't really say what it is that makes people unhappy at their jobs, but I I feel like it has something to do with not doing something that you like to do. 
you also mentioned money as this, you know, this ever present necessity. And you're not too old, but you're old enough that you already had internet when when everything was free. Every every content, every blog or newspaper at some point on the internet was free. Whereas now you have stuff like Masterclass where, or, or some other online platforms where you pay for content. Um, what do you think of this model of, of paying for content or models like, like Patreon where, where you get donations from people? Do you think that's the future where uh, online content is, is headed? I think it's a combination. There's still so many free resources online. Khan Academy is 100% free. It's just like Wikipedia where it runs based on user donations. And Wikipedia is also an amazing resource that is also 100% free. And I think it's a combination of both. I can see why Masterclass would charge because it's obviously it's a business model. And in order to get people like, you know, Ron Howard or Martin Scorsese to make, you know, a, a, a full-on course, there has to be some kind of money that's involved because these people's times are incredibly valuable and sometimes expensive. <laughs> so they have to have some kind of revenue come to them. And I don't have anything against that. So um, a final question regarding dedicating yourself to these these passions outside of a regular office nine to five job uh, you're you're um you don't have family to take care uh to take care of right you, you don't have kids or pets do you i do not have kids nor do i have pets <laughs> so um i think there's a big difference for people with with that kind of responsibility uh, mm -hmm. because after their office job they they do dedicate some time to their families um, right. Have you seen this and, and uh, how hard is it for other people from what you've seen to, to, to balance this family plus job plus your passion on the side? It's incredibly difficult and some people might even say impossible, but I think that's what makes the winners. It's the people who are resilient, the people who don't give up. I saw this woman talking about how she came from a bad family. This woman was talking on The Financial Diet, uh, which is a pretty successful YouTube channel, and it's a book as well. And this woman was talking about how she came from a very difficult family, and she wasn't close to any of her family members. And they were very, very, very poor. And she eventually enlisted in the army because she didn't really have much of a future. Like, she didn't... She didn't have a way to do anything really like she didn't have any money but she was always very very focused on wanting a life better for herself and she eventually became pregnant and she was a single mother and she started to study and get certificates and like do all this stuff and then she eventually applied to the three top schools in the United States. One of them was Harvard. The other one was Yale. And then I forgot which was the other one that she applied to. And this was for law. So she applied 
to, to, to study law. And everybody told her that, you know, don't, don't be, don't be too discouraged when they say no because of her background and the fact that she had nothing that was pushing her towards being, you know, she had, she was not a textbook case for success, but she, she kept trying and she got an acceptance letter from Harvard and she went to Harvard and she eventually grew her, her business from this. And this is one of those cases where if you just look at that, you, you see someone who just wouldn't give up someone who wanted a better life for herself and for her child. And that includes many sleepless nights. And that includes sacrificing a lot of things. And there's such a thing as, as work-life balance. And sometimes that is difficult, you know? I mean, when you are doing one thing, that's the thing that you are doing. So when you are working, there, there is no family, like there is nothing else. Like you have to just focus on your work. And when you're with your family, you can't do work. Like you have to just focus on the family. Like it, there is no real balance when you're doing one or the other. It has to, it has to just be one or the other. You can't do both at the same time. So my advice for people like that is to really look at your schedule every week and focus on time management figure out what requires what requires effort from you and what you are getting out of those efforts and really manage your time even if it means sacrificing you know watching your favorite TV show but if that's really the life that you want for yourself then you have to be resilient and you have to make those sacrifices there's really like i said there's really no there's no easy way to do it that's an incredible story um, Romina, you mentioned a book uh, that's coming from you. Is there any other medium-term plan that you you have that you might mention? I am actually working on courses right now, so I do want to help people in a more concrete way. And I just finished filming uh, so the my first course that I'm going to release. I just finished filming this week, so. I'm going to start putting that together and hopefully in the next uh, couple weeks, I'll have a course that will be up. I'm going to be releasing it on Udemy and a few other places as well. And from there on out, I have plans for doing other courses as well. And then I have a few other eBooks that I want to release after that. But the focus right now is the uh, courses that I'm working on, the online courses to give back a little bit of what I've gained from the internet. <laughs> We're getting closer to an hour here. So uh, I, I don't know uh, how much time do you have, but I, I, I did want to ask you this. <laughs> now that you are mentioning all these projects, how often do you take time off? And do you ever take time off where you completely disconnect your, your phone and your email for a few days? Absolutely. So I am a stickler for time management <laughs> and I think part of part of having a strategy for you know for your business for your career there's also a strategy for having personal time as well and I have time that I've set up 
for myself. I have time that I've set up for myself on a daily basis, but then I also have time that I separate for having time off. So I said earlier on that I was working on watching all the Star Trek franchise and I pretty much do that every day. (laughs) Uh, At the end of the day, after I've worked for the entire day, I'll usually watch that before I go to sleep. I'll watch maybe a couple episodes or I'll watch one of the movies. And that is me taking time off. And then I also do meditate and I do yoga as well. And I exercise. And these are just things that I do, you know, pretty much on a daily or a weekly basis. And I do have days where I just go and I do stuff like with my family and things like that. And I don't know. To me, it's just, I I feel like that is equally as important as getting stuff done. It's part of, it just goes on my schedule. So I don't, I don't miss doing those things. And as for email, I am not one of those, I'm not one of those people who feels like they have to respond to people 24 seven and like all the time. For me, I just respond when I feel like responding (laughs) and people just have to get used to that. So sometimes I don't respond to text messages for weeks, whatever. Like if somebody needs me, they'll just message me again. (laughs) And the reason is because not because I feel like I'm entitled and like, I don't, you know, I don't want to respond to people, but it's because I don't want to be married to my device. I don't want to be married to communication and have to be connected to to people and accessible all the time because personally I don't feel like that's healthy. So I only check my email a few times a week. So I really don't I'm not like looking at my email constantly. I only check it a few times a week and unless uh there's something that's you know timely, then I'll get back to it like when you contact contacted me about the podcast. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is cool. I could do that like next week." So you heard from me like right away, but <laughs> most people don't hear back from me for, you know, a few days. I feel very special now. <laughs> Romina, you have been uh, generous with your time. And uh, Where can people find you online? What's the best way of finding your content? Can you point to your website or, or YouTube channel or Twitter? Yeah, I'm Red Romina, all one word, all over the internet. Red is my favorite color. So you can pretty much just Google that and you'll probably find me. Uh, That's my name on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. And it's also my website, redromina.com. Okay. Thanks a lot for accepting the invitation. And I hope to repeat this at some point with, with some other topics. Absolutely. Maybe after I have some other things that have come out and I can Once finally you talk your about book, them. Yeah. We can talk about your your books. Your books in the plural. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure you visit hanoma.info slash podcast for more episodes. That's J A N O ma.info forward slash podcast until next time